0: Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Bye-bye. And Glenn Leverens.
1: This is Morning Air.
0: On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
1: Si, Señor. Wake up, America. It's Friday, February 3rd. Good morning. Welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Blaise, Bishop and Martyr. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance and our producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for making us a part of your day across America and beyond here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Happy Friday to you as we get ready for the first weekend of the month of February. And today is first Friday and on this first Friday let's remember the Sacred Heart of Jesus as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ now today as I mentioned is the memorial of Saint Blaise Bishop and martyr he was the Bishop of Sebasti in Armenia and was martyred under Licinius back around 316 AD Saint Blaise enjoyed widespread veneration in both the eastern and the Western churches due to the many many cures attributed to him. On this day, if you can make it to Mass, that would be outstanding. Afterwards, uh, you can receive uh, the traditional blessing of the throat. Uh, those, uh, these are the words I'd like to share with you, the words of the priest um, for that blessing. Through the intercession of St. Blaise Bishop and martyr, may God deliver you from every disease of the throat and from every other disease in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. I know uh, this uh, radio host definitely needs uh, to have um, my throat blessed today. So we'll actually be doing that here at uh, our relevant radio office uh, with uh, a special mass with Father Rocky a little bit later uh, this morning. So I want to bring in uh, Glenn and. Sarah, Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines here uh, this hour on this first
2: Friday? Oh, having those throats blessed, that's uh, that's very important for radio announcer folks. So uh, for <laughs> good sure. on relevant radio for, for taking care of everyone in the in the studio there as well. And we're reminded of a, a, a priest friend of mine who interviewed a while back about St. Blaise. And he, he noted with much glee that uh, the rubrics uh, in talking about the blessing of the throat with the candles crossed noted that they needed to be unlit candles, thinking that, you know, if that that wouldn't, that instruction wouldn't have been put in there if there wasn't some problem, perhaps, in the past. Wow. That
0: sounds about right. You don't write a rule unless someone's been trying to break
2: it. So that's... So anyway, for those working on St. Blaise Blessings today, remember, keep the matches away. But, uh, hey, anyway, elsewhere in the news, uh, things, of course you know, up in the air these days between the U.S. and China, especially when it comes to not a weather balloon but a spy balloon floating merrily over areas very near to U.S. missile silo fields in Montana. This has the Pentagon wondering what to do, shoot it down, what what about where it falls, or what to do. This is at about 60,000 feet. It's higher above the area where normal, uh, say, airline traffic would go, so it's not interfering with that. One would think spy satellites can kind of take care of that job. We're kind of going back a hundred years to some old spy technology here, but John causing quite a stir. It really is, and and China says that it's
1: looking into the report uh, of this spy balloon this morning. Uh, you think they're looking into the report? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, um, I guess just the idea of shooting it down uh, it could be, you know, very dangerous because it, it's. It's got stuff hanging from it. Uh, it looks like a metal of some kind, some, some kind of instruments hanging. I'm looking at a picture of it. If that were to land on the ground uh, from 60,000 feet up in the air, uh, it could cause a lot of damage. Even though there's not a lot of ton of people in that part of Montana, uh, there is definitely uh, some uh, nuclear sites, which makes it even more uh, concerning.
2: I would bet, though, that it's more we don't want to mess any more than we have to with China. We want to let them know we're mad about this, but we don't want to shoot that down. I'm sure we'd love to get our hands on what's hanging down from that balloon. But you think of the poor folks in Ukraine, they're shooting down missiles that are only a few hundred feet above the cities and some of the debris landing there and people losing their lives. And so when you have to shoot things down, often you do. So I don't know how concerned they are. It reminds me a little bit, though, about that that cartoon movie from 2009 up where the widower ties all those <laughs> balloons to his that. house to go on a trip. And, uh, you know, one of the little tangents in that movie, there's a beautiful segment. Again, this the, our hero is a, well, the little kid's really the hero, right? But uh, he's a widower, but the flashback sequence of him recalling the great romance he had with his wife, who has now passed away, uh, done silently just with pictures, cartoons of that, one of a few moments in cinema that have brought a tear from my eye just uh, just awesome
0: glenn you know that's one of those movies where you think i don't know could this even be entertaining this kid you know but it is one it is an amazing movie (laughs) once you watch it you like you know you sit through and you're gonna put it they did a great job on that movie that is a great movie i agree
2: glenn i didn't know you were so sentimental (laughs) you know a couple of cartoons i think Years and years ago on the show, we said, "Well, Any cartoons ever made you cry? It was that one, a little bit. And then uh, in Toy Story, what, one, two, or three? I know, was with my younger kid who was ready to graduate high school. We're watching it. She's a little bored. I'm still loving cartoons, even at whatever age I was at that time. But when he gives away... Finally, he turns over his box of toys. It's like oh,
1: uh, I would have man. thought that you would cry over your Vikings over the years, <laughs> which <laughs> that's an us, old
2: story. That's just an old, <laughs> which old leads story. us to the countdown to Super
1: Bowl Fifty Seven, which continues uh, between uh, the Eagles and the Chiefs uh, a week from this Sunday. Uh, Travis and Jason Kelsey, uh, of course, are making history as the first brothers to be uh, facing each other in a Super Bowl matchup. But it's uh, Jason's wife,
2: Kylie, uh, who is. Going to be making some history of her own. Well, absolutely. She's going to be there at 38 weeks pregnant and she has her own OBGYN along. How handy would that be, Sarah?
0: Oh, that would be wonderful. <laughs> Have somebody there just in case doing all your monitoring. And actually, you know, that might be a little bit too much. So it kind of depends on your OBGYN. They're so wonderful. They're there giving you all the advice and making sure everything is healthy and everything's going on. But I sometimes when you're getting close to the end, they like to do a lot of monitoring. So I don't know if I want to be at the game with a stress test on my belly, just making sure that the kid's not getting too excited. You know, they can hear stuff in the womb. Is dad winning or losing the excitement? The, is uncle going to win?
1: you know, there's a lot going on there. Okay, uh, let's suppose uh, there's a minute to go. It's crunch time. Uh, the game is tied. Eagles and Chiefs, uh, 20 apiece. And then the baby wants to come out.
0: Uh, this sounds like it's definitely going to be like in a sitcom because usually in any sitcom <laughs> there there's something that's in very intense and then all of a sudden the water breaks. So I can imagine a big everyone's standing up in the crowd cheering and then all of a sudden she realizes her water breaks. But good thing her OBG is right there.
1: And uh, media week hasn't even begun uh, for the Super Bowl. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn and Sarah. Hey, sure thing, John. We begin every hour here on Morning Air, always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. Every single day is a blessing. Every day is a gift. We always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. Our email, if you want to shoot us an email directly, Air at relevantradio.com. And if you want to be part of the program this morning, the number is 888-914-9149. Now, as we uh, mentioned uh, earlier this week, uh, February is Black History Month, and today we're going to talk about two black pro-life heroes, Dr. Mildred Faye Jefferson and Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, and reflect on the issue of abortion in the black community just a few weeks after the historic 50th March for Life in Washington, D.C., the first one since Roe v. Wade was overturned last summer. Listen to the powerful words of pro-life Life hero, Dr. Mildred Jefferson.
0: I am at once a physician, a citizen, and a woman, and I am not willing to stand aside and allow this concept of expendable human lives to turn this great land of ours into just another exclusive reservation where only the perfect, the privileged, and the planned have the right to live. And remember the fight for the right to
2: life is not the cause of a special few, but the cause of every man, woman, and child who cares not only about his or her own family, but the whole family of man.
1: Joining us live from the Chicago is our regular contributor, Mary Helen Fiorito, to talk about these black pro-life heroes. Mary is an attorney, public speaker, and commentator on issues involving Catholic Church teachings, administration, and religious freedom. She holds the position of the Cardinal Francis George Fellow at both the Ethics and Public Policy Center and the the Nicholas Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. Good morning, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us. It's uh, always good to be with you. Happy First Friday.
3: Happy First Friday. Happy St. Blaise Day. And happy Black History Month to you and to all the listeners. Absolutely. Well,
1: here we are in Black History Month, and there's, there's so many uh, great names that we could talk about. But this morning, we're going to talk about two uh, Black pro-life heroes, and I'd like to start with Dr. Mildred Jefferson. We just heard uh, a little excerpt from her. We're going to talk about Justice Clarence Thomas a little bit later. Um, so let's begin. Uh, who was this uh, great
3: pro-life pioneer? Well, this is a name that every school student should know. Um, you know, in Black History Month, it, we, we take the time um, to learn about different people in the Black community who have made important contributions, whether they're in sports or in culture or in medicine or in law. And Mildred Jefferson is one that's rarely ever mentioned. And I'm I'm, I'm certain because it's because she was so pro-life. In fact, Mildred Jefferson was the first Black woman to graduate from Harvard's Medical School. Um, She was born in East Texas in 1927, and she was an only child of a Methodist minister and a school teacher. And she had a local doctor uh, who was the doctor for the Black community in her little town in Texas, and he made house calls in a horse-drawn carriage, if you can believe that. And uh, he let little Millie, as she was known, um, go with him on some of his visits. And he could tell that she was quite gifted, uh, quite a little uh, prodigy. And so he encouraged her to keep up with their studies. Um, but this was, a again, she was a prodigy. She graduated from high school. She went to a segregated high school in Texas uh, when she was 15 Um And then she was accepted to harvard medical school but she wasn't allowed to go initially because she was still too young so while she was waiting to be uh old enough to turn 21 she got a master's degree in uh, biology and then went on to go to harvard's medical school so and again as i mentioned she was the first african-american woman not only to graduate but also to be accepted there um and she was also the first woman of any race to complete a surgical rotation at boston city hospital which It was a very uh, prestigious hospital, and she was the first female surgeon at at, uh, Boston University Medical Center. So, I mean, just a pioneer in so many different ways, broke so many barriers um, for black women, um, and particularly black women in medicine. But in 1970, she had kind of a a moment when someone from the American Medical Association uh, let her know that their local chapter was going to be preparing a resolution in favor of abortion. Uh, because abortion was not legal in every state at that point. Um, It was legal in New York. It was legal in California and in Colorado. But in the other 47 states in the nation, abortion was still illegal for the most part. Um, And she was very upset by this. And she joined this movement to oppose um, liberalizing abortion laws. She helped to found Massachusetts Citizens for Life. And then she was the co-founder of the National Right to Life Committee. And she was its president for... I think, three different terms. So just a very prominent um, person in the the movement there from the very beginning. And they're not only, you know, as a physician who believed that taking life was wrong and that they were healers, they were not killers, but also as a black woman. And she spoke out quite emphatically against what she saw were the racist and eugenicist uh, motivations behind abortion in the black community
1: she was not just a pro-life hero. She was a hero. I mean, this one was Mm -hmm. absolutely outstanding. In fact, I understand that she actually was able to change the heart and the mind of a former president uh, with uh, her incredible uh, uh, persuasive skills, her intellect, uh, and just uh, her eloquence.
3: Right. Yeah, she was actually, um, I believe she was a Uh, Like Boston's uh, National Public Television Station, Um, it it came out of Boston, but it was a national show, and it was a debate on opening up abortion laws, and she was representing the pro-life side, and she explained it in this beautifully articulate way that actually changed the heart and mind of Ronald Reagan, who at that time was the governor of California, and he actually wrote her a letter. He hand-wrote her a letter saying, I wish I could have heard your views before our legislation was passed. You made it irrefutably clear that abortion is the taking of a human life. I'm grateful to you. And um, so she. You know, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. You know, if you go to the little uh, thing on National Right to Life, the thing, I'm sorry, <laughs> the, the uh, website, National Right to Life website, you can see some of that. But um, so Reagan's presidency, of course, shaped pro-life um, courts and pro-life legislation federally you know, for for eight years. And so her influence there, um, just being willing to go on that television show and to speak the truth, uh, influenced everyone from the top on down. She was a very persuasive speaker and, but again, just armed with the truth, with nothing else but the truth and with medical facts and with science. But her concern about what was happening within the black community, um, was, you know, she called abortion a class war against the poor and genocide against black. She actually used the word genocide. Um, and so she's she's not as well known as, you know, maybe astronaut Mae Jemison or, um, you know, the the uh, others that you'll see featured during Black History Month. But certainly um I mean, just her her intellect alone should make her one of the the leading women, uh, black people, that we focus on every February.
1: No question about it. Uh, Dr. Mildred Faye Jefferson's life and legacy was just absolutely outstanding, a great example and a true uh, pro-life hero. Uh, The other uh, black pro-life hero that we want to talk about is uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, the longest-serving justice among uh, the current members of the Supreme Court, uh, 30-plus years. Uh, uh, Of course, he he voted to overturn Roe v. Wade. He's uh, been described as an originalist. Uh, I want you to listen to uh, some of Justice Thomas's questioning of the U.S. Solicitor General during the Dobbs case, uh, during the oral arguments.
2: I understand we're talking about abortion here, but what is confusing is that we if, if we were talking about the Second Amendment, I know exactly what we're talking about. If we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, I know what we're talking about. Because it's written, it's there. What specifically is the right here?
3: It's the right of a woman prior to viability to control whether to continue with a pregnancy, yes. Thank you. So,
1: Mary, uh, your thoughts? Uh, That was a super interesting give and take. We only heard a little excerpt of it. But obviously, Justice Thomas, passionately pro-life, he voted uh, with the uh, 6-3 majority that struck down Roe. Um, He's he's a, a very special guy.
3: Yes. Oh, I love that exchange. I'm so glad that you used that clip. What he was getting at there is that, you know, if you ask me about gun laws, I know where that is in the Constitution. I can see that in the Second Amendment. When we're talking about abortion, point me to the place in the Constitution where abortion is mentioned. Point me to the place in the Constitution where there is language that uh, suggests that private killing of unborn children is permitted. Um, you know, that the, the right to abortion was found in what the justices in the Roe decision called the emanations and penumbras coming from the 14th Amendment. And so what Thomas was getting at with that question was this is not an enumerated right in the Constitution. And that's essentially what the Dobbs decision was about and how, you know, justice. Thomas, of course, concurring in it, but Justice Alito very brilliantly going through the entire text and history um, of abortion laws in the United States and showing that there is no, you know, deeply rooted um, interest in abortion in the Constitution. There never was. This has never been part of the tradition and the history in the law um, in this country. And it's it was excellent that he pointed that out, but I thought she gave a very poor answer Um You know, just talking about the, you know, the right of a woman to control her own body. But what he was saying was, where is that in the Constitution? And she knows knows full well, of course, because she was arguing the case that it's not there. Um, But uh, yet was unable to, you know, give an answer that even approached a satisfactory answer. Well,
1: uh, Justin's Clarence Thomas uh, has a, a very a compelling story, his life story. It includes uh, Catholic nuns that highly influenced uh, his career and his life uh, early on, uh, which led to uh, his current uh, pro-life uh, beliefs.
3: Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you raised that. He has given such credit to the Catholic nuns who taught him, particularly the nuns who taught him in grade school. And I would I uh, highly recommend to your listeners if they'd like to learn a little bit more about this. PBS has a special um, that's based on the book, My Grandfather's Son, uh, that he wrote. And um, it's really worth watching. I didn't know some of this until I just happened upon it, you know, one Sunday afternoon when it was playing. And, you know, Clarence Thomas grew up in a household. His father abandoned him and his brother. And it was just his mom and uh, the, the three of them in a house with no indoor plumbing, with no running water. I mean, they were poor. And his mother, uh, uh, you know, made plans for him to go to stay with his grandparents, he and his brother, because she realized she couldn't take care of them well by herself. And they were sent to a Catholic school and the sisters there As Clarence Thomas said they lived with us and they loved us and there was one time he turned in a paper that was you know she could see the sister uh, who who taught him how how bright he was and he turned in a paper that was very shoddily done and she put it back on his desk and said Clarence this is lazy and I don't want to ever see work like this from you again and he said it was one of the first times someone had had emphasized to him that he was smart and that he was trying to take the easy way out, but that he had all this potential. And this sister who taught him when he was a little boy uh, saw it in him from the from the get-go, and she is the one who really, you know, encouraged his academic success. And, of course, you know, he went on to Holy Cross College and then to his um, to his legal career. So just, um, again, sort of like Mildred Jefferson in that he was a prodigy and born in a very poor town, but look how the Lord raised him up. And he is also very much like Jefferson— outspoken against what he believes are the, the eugenics and the genocide of black people, that abortion as a solution to problems for the poor is particularly targeted against black people.
1: And uh, obviously that's a topic that we could do a whole show on, uh, the, the beliefs of uh, Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood, their roots, and the whole eugenics uh, movement. Uh, but um, I, I totally believe that uh, Justice Thomas, uh, for the longest, uh, for much of his career, one of his goals was uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade.
3: Yes. Well, as you mentioned from the outset, he is what they call an originalist. He looks to the text and the history of the Constitution when he is deciding an issue that involves the U.S. Constitution. And as his question pointed out, um, without having to even say it, the right to abortion is not there. There is no emanation or penumbra coming from the 14th Amendment that would include the right to the private killing of an unborn child. And he has been, you know, uh, he he is a believer of that, of this originalism um, across the board. And it's very much marked his legal career and his legal opinions. And you know he he is one of these people, despite the fact that when the Smithsonian put together its uh, museum of African American history, he was excluded from that exhibit, which I just find appalling because I think it's not only his his life story which is so inspiring to everyone, no matter what their race is, but also the impact that he has had on the preservation of the originality of the Constitution and of Keeping to what our founding fathers wanted when they wrote that beautiful document, which was an inspired document, and to making certain it wasn't manipulated just to, you know, satisfy the the whims of the day. Um, He's going to go down as one of the greatest Supreme Court justices in the history of this country.
1: Well, i tell you, it, uh, it's mind-boggling uh, to think uh, the way that the mainstream media has gone after and attacked uh, Justice Thomas uh, after uh, the Dobbs case, after Roe was overturned. Um, you know, they just don't recognize what a, what a great man and what a, what a great leader he is.
3: And what an inspiration. I mean, I, the, the life that he had and the poverty that he pulled himself out of—and again, he gives credit to the Catholic sisters— who taught him and for many years, I believe some of them have passed away now, but would go back and visit them um, every Martin Luther King Day um, to speak to them, to, to see how they were doing. He remained very close to them over his lifetime. And in, in an age when we're you know so sensitive to racial issues and there is so much racial division in this country, I think he is a person who presents a unifying response to that, that it's, it's love that really draws out the best in people. And that's what he knew that those sisters, um, you know, believed in him, but they, he also knew they loved him, you know, and the very fact that they were willing to live in the community where they all lived um, that, that spoke more than any words about, you know, black lives matter or anything like that. And so they saw him as a dignified child of God and they made sure that he knew that. And that's also going, you know, back to the core of the abortion issue. Each of us are are wanted by God, are intended by God, each of us is created by a loving God who, who created us for a reason. And so I think just given his, you know, his early childhood and his having, you know, had that kind of drilled into him, that you are a child of God, it does not matter that you're black, it doesn't matter that you're poor, um, you know, it doesn't matter that your house doesn't have indoor plumbing, you're a, you're a created son of the King. Um, that really, that really stayed with him. And I think that's one of the reasons he finds abortion so horribly offensive is because you're taking this great gift that God has given us, the gift of life, and and just throwing it aside. And, you know, as he would point out, you know, black children are equally valuable to white children. But why is it that the black abortion rate, like in places like New York City, he points this out in one of his decisions, is is three times as high as it is for white children. Um, you know he he really drills down on that that particular piece of the abortion issue that I think uh, Planned Parenthood doesn't like to talk about very much, which is that the black abortion rates are shockingly high compared to white abortion rates. And um, there is a racist and eugenicist you know, the theme behind that. And he is not afraid to speak about it, which is what I love about him too. He doesn't tiptoe around it. He says it very directly in his opinion.
1: Well, Mary, uh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to join us this morning to talk about these uh, two great uh, black pro-life heroes, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas and Dr. Mildred Jefferson. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks again.
3: Oh, my pleasure. And have a wonderful weekend.
1: God bless you. Mary Helen Fiorito. You can find her on Twitter, at Mary Fiorito. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Mario Costabile, the founder and executive director of Array of Hope, will be with us live right here in our Lincolnshire studios to talk about his ministry, Array of Hope, which was recently the featured music band for the One Life LA Pro-Life event So we're going to talk all about uh, the great work that they're doing there at Array of Hope. So stay with us as Morning Air continues here on this Friday on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Jump into the conversation. Call 888 914 9149. 888 914 9149.
1: This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. On Relevant Radio
0: and the Relevant Radio app.
1: And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and producer Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this first Friday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our power scripture from the playbook of life this morning is from Matthew seven twenty one. Our blessed Lord Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Our Lord Jesus Christ makes it very clear. What really counts in the Lord's eyes is our actions, our deeds, our works, not just our words. We can say that we follow Christ. Uh, We can even say that we believe in Christ. But do we do God's will? Do we do God's will? Do we at least try to seek God's will? And that is the fundamental question. So saying, Lord, Lord, is just not enough to gain eternal life. We must have a conversion of heart and seek to do God's will. And then just do it, like uh, the old uh, Nike slogan goes. And we always pray with great confidence uh, that prayer uh, that Drew Mariani prays every afternoon here on the Chapel of Divine Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, if you want to be part of the conversation, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Now I want to talk about something that I'm passionate about, and that is the power of the media as a tool to share the faith to all generations. I want to tell you about a media organization called Array of Hope, which creates original music, films, and events that reveal the beauty and truths of our Catholic faith. Here is part of one of their videos called Hope Can Last Forever. And joining us live here in studio this morning is Mario Costabile the founder and executive director of Array of Hope to talk about some of his Outstanding recent events, Uh, he was uh, featured as the music band for One Life LA and uh, doing some great work uh, with the uh, U.S. Bishop's uh, Eucharistic Revival as well. Mario has been a successful music and film producer for uh, well over four decades. He's produced uh, content for film, radio, and television, and the recording business for MTV, VH1, Discovery Channel, uh, and many, many others. Good morning. Uh, Mario, thanks so much for joining us. It's, it's great to be connected with you, only this time live here it's in nice. our Lincolnshire studios. Yes. Uh, welcome. Thank oh, you so it's, much.
4: It's so nice to be here. It's exciting uh, to be seeing you in person. Uh, yeah. Thank you, thank yeah. you for this beautiful I gave, T-shirt. I gave John the T-shirt.
1: Yeah, awesome. Uh, faith, uh, love, and hope. It just yeah, yeah. A, Amen. A, a tremendous message there, and uh, I really do uh, appreciate it. Uh, before we talk about some of your recent events uh, that I mentioned, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Array of Hope um, and you know, especially for folks that have never heard of, of your ministry? What what inspired you uh, to get this started?
4: Yeah. Uh, well, my background is I'm a music and film producer for four. Forty years, and then uh, I heard a calling. uh, 2010, 2009, to evangelize uh, to the Catholic Church in a way that was exciting, relevant, powerful through my gifts and talents. I said yes to the Lord, uh, and a ray of hope was started. And essentially, what a ray of hope initially did uh, and still does quite a bit is that we evangelize through multimedia concerts and events. We go into a gymnasium, a theater, and we do this sort of visual musical sharing of the faith and, and and really targeted on the Catholic faith and the teachings of Christ. And it's very uh, family-oriented. It's very much uh, engaged to um, really uh, draw people to Christ in a transformative way. Kind of uh, reminiscent of like World Youth Day kind of a feeling? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's really just to get people excited, to really make them think about their faith, to make them uh, sort of uh, reflective and draw them to, to Christ and 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 the church. Really,
1: I'm curious. How did you get that calling? How did you hear that calling uh, oh, back in, in 2009?
4: Yeah. Well, um, I was uh, producing a Christian band in Nashville. Uh, I'd never produced Christian music before, uh, so I spent some time there to try to understand how Christian music was produced because I was a, primarily a, a secular film per, music producer, and uh, I spent a lot of time uh, with our evangelical brothers and sisters. Uh, I met and, and uh, shared worship with Casting Crowns, Mercy Me, Amy Grant, uh, Chris Tomlin, Toby Mack, I don't know if you've ever heard of these artists. I,
1: for sure, yeah, I've heard of a few of them, sure. Uh,
4: and I was just so inspired and said, mean, these guys are awesome. There's a lot
1: we can learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters. Well,
4: what was at that moment that I had a yearning? I said, "Look, these guys are so powerful. The the media and the way they produce their concerts." I had a a yearning, and the Lord said, "You know, why don't you do this for the Catholic Church?" And and you have the ability to do that. And that was sort of the uh, the seedlings, the 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 beginning, the the impetus that got me going.
1: Was your original vision more? general christian or were you looking catholic uh, markets specifically question.
4: yeah good question well it, it, it in 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 the lord's uh, w- beautiful way and wisdom it correlated with my own spiritual catholic growth i had a reversion back to the church a yearning to know who god is in a deeper way so initially it was just to serve god and then it really fine-tuned itself to be distinctly, specifically Catholic and sharing uh, the beautiful, um, you know, the saints, their lives, the, the sacraments and the power of the sacraments and, 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 and how we can really be filled and uh, uh, re- receive a multiple of grace from that, which mo- most people don't, aren't aware of. Well, Mario, when you decided to pick uh, St.
1: Uh, John Paul II yeah. um, as your patron saint of a ray of hope, you knew uh, he was going to be re- Catholic.
4: Yeah, I, I just loved him. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, his, just his writings, his teachings were very inspiring to me. Uh, that's beautiful. John, John has shown me a picture of him. And, uh, you know, when I found out he was really a, an artist himself, an actor, loved the theater, loved to communicate through media, said— He's my man. <laughs> yeah, They used to
1: talk about Ronald Reagan being the great communicator. That's right. JP too was, was the great communicator. Right. He was he, an actor, and he knew the angles and the lighting and yeah. the power of words and the ability to inspire yeah. uh, the young people. So that, that's a it's great, a great uh, patron saint uh, for, great. for your ministry for yes, Array yes. of Hope. Mm-hmm. Uh Take us back just a few weeks uh, yeah. to L.A. Uh, you were the featured music band for One Life L.A. Yeah. Uh, that... A wonderful uh, pro-life rally uh, produced by the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Um, Archbishop Gomez was on hand. Uh, What was that like? Uh, At the same time, uh, just that weekend, obviously, the National March for Life was going on in Washington, D.C., commemorating uh, the 50th anniversary of Roe and the first one uh, since Roe was overturned.
4: It was really special for us. I'd met Archbishop Gomez uh, a couple of years prior, uh, and then just reconnecting with him once again. What a special man, uh, just to devote so much time and resources to this event uh, year after year. Uh, It was special for our team as well. We had never done such a high-profile event, you know, huge stage, huge audience, It it was inspirational to see, um, and it wasn't just about uh, the issue. I mean, it was a a global issue of life. You know, we talked about a multiple of things and shared the importance and sanctity of life across the board. So it was, um, it was really very, very exciting to uh, really um, be part of it. You know, and and it was very uh, honorous for us. I have
1: some um, sound, a a, sound bite, a short sound bite from Archbishop Gomez uh, at, the, at the Rally, at the One Life LA event.
2: Together, we are doing something
3: beautiful, my dear friends. We are part of a great movement of human fra- freedom and human dignity, the beautiful movement to build a culture of life and love. We all want to live in a society where human life is cherished and welcome, where everyone can live with dignity from conception to natural death. This is a spiritual movement, a movement of the hearts and minds and and souls. The movement for life is a movement for love
1: course, Archbishop Jose Gomez, the former president of the USCCB. Mario, I want to get your take on and give us a little bit more of of the feel of what it was like at that event, but we need to take a short uh, break. Uh, And also, I want to bring in our listeners. If you've ever attended a Ray of Hope live concert, so you have any thoughts on the power of media to really share the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, we would love to hear from you this morning. We're taking your calls for Mario Costabile, the founder and executive director of A ray of hope at 888 914 9149. That's 888 914 9149. We're going to take a short time out, continue our conversation with Mario. Stay with us. There's much more to come on the other side.
3: the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. Rise up,
2: open your heart, rise up. Now's the time to start. Rise
1: up. Yes, it's time to rise up. We're talking about a fantastic ministry called Array of Hope, and that is just uh, some of their outstanding work. Uh, Array of Hope was recently Featured, it was the featured music band for One Life LA uh, at the recent uh, rally at just a few weeks ago, and uh, we're joined this morning as we continue our conversation live here in studio with Mario Costabil, the founder and executive director of Array of Hope. Uh, Mario, it is uh, so good to be with you here, yeah, uh, live. I uh, so appreciate you taking the time to, to come and, uh, and join us.
4: I had to buy a, a super coat at Sears just to make it worthwhile in Chicago here for me. Keep warm.
1: Yes. Uh, w- <laughs> welcome to the Windy City. Oh but it could be worse. We, we, we really? could be in New England. Uh, They're getting 40 to 60 below wind uh, chill It could always be worse, right? For sure. Tell us, what was it like? What was the, the feeling, the atmosphere with all those uh, young people uh, at the uh, One Life LA, uh, knowing that this was the first One Life
4: LA event after Roe was overturned, mm. well, it wasn't just young people. It was the, the you know demographic was uh, people of all ages. Uh, young people uh, were uh, actually I was really inspired by seeing all, a lot of kids running around and, and really being joyous and fun. Uh, it was really um, inspirational for us because life is so beautiful. It's a gift of God uh, from God. Uh, it's a gift that uh, should be always be should be cherished. And I think many people um, take life for granted. Uh, and to see a celebration of life was really uh, touching for us, and to be part of it was really, ex- you know, exciting and and really uh, motivated us to continue, you know, in our mission and our work.
1: Well, uh, there's so many different facets to the great work that you're uh, doing with Array uh, of Hope. I know that uh, you're also involved uh, with the U.S. Bishops and yeah. this current uh, three-year national Eucharistic uh, revival. Tell us about uh, your program, Behold. What's your vision for this uh, outreach?
4: Yeah, Behold uh, was created to work in tandem with the uh, Eucharistic Revival. Uh, we uh, synchronized and coordinated ourselves with Archbishop Cousins, uh, who's really the the bishop running uh, the uh, the organization and and the mission. Uh, and it's really to shed light, uh, to draw attention to the importance of the Eucharist as a three year uh, initiative. Uh, And what we're doing is we created a three-day program, a three-event program, that really draws people to the power of the Eucharist and its grace. And and it's a three nights. Our first night is Eucharistic and healing. Our second night is Eucharistic and awe. And the third night is Eucharistic and communion, really drawing people to the importance of the Eucharist, how we can be healed by the Eucharist, how grace can enable us to persevere in times of struggle and doubt. Uh, And it's exciting for us because we feel part of something that really... Uh, the church needs. You know, we need to understand the importance of the Eucharist. And I think uh, given the most recent polls, um, it, it's, it's almost 70% of Catholics do not believe that the Eucharist is the true presence of, of Jesus, uh, which is sad. Uh, but it does give us hope that there's a lot of room to grow and a lot of opportunity.
1: That's why we constantly talk about uh, the Eucharist here on Relevant Radio and Morning Air. And uh, I'm reminded, Father Rocky uh, has said it in the past, that those numbers might be uh, okay for the general public, but among the relevant radio audience, I guarantee you it's not uh, 70% that don't believe. Uh, It's probably uh, up in the 90s, would be my guess, that do believe in the true presence of our Lord. Um, Is there an ecumenical uh, carryover? Do you find some evangelicals, Protestants coming to to these Eucharistic events?
4: Well, we're trying. It's funny. A lot of the, our evangelical brothers and sisters are ex-Catholics, so it's an invitation. That there's the opportunity to say, look, you know, for whatever reason that you might have left the Church, why don't you come back? to this event that might spark something in you that maybe you missed, uh, or maybe you long for that you don't realize. And and that's a really amazing opportunity for the church uh, because I've experienced a lot of our evangelical brothers and sisters just sharing why they might have left the church and why they were disengaged with the church, and this is a great opportunity because the Eucharist can empower them to feel God again, right?
1: No doubt, and then you've got the the perfect platform to do it, amen. Uh, with your uh, uh, channel and your app, and mm. and, and of course uh, the Rise Up live shows that uh, that you, you guys are doing. I I looked at the names. My goodness, it's uh, it's like uh, you know Catholic Hall of Famers.
4: Thank you. Well, you know, we're proud of that. We, we like to bring a lot of well-known Catholic um, personalities uh, and people to our channel uh, because uh, there's a lot of wisdom in the Church that people have forgotten or don't recognize, and uh, we try to bring uh, our followers and, and people that are interested in what we're doing uh, so they can really hear uh, true expression of the faith.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, like I said, the, the lineup—some uh, of the, some of these uh, folks—I uh, was just recently uh, with uh, Chris Stefanik, yeah. um and uh, and for that matter of uh, Father Donald Calloway at a men's conference in, awesome. uh, in the fall. So uh, these guys are awesome, and uh, you know, Lila Rose is like uh, a Joan of Arc yeah. of the, the pro life yeah. movement.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just interviewed Patrick Madrid. So we had him on. Uh, it's going to be released shortly, you know. And he he was he was so much fun. He's a music guy, by the way. He Big is an all
1: around guy. That, yeah, Patrick <laughs> Madrid is uh, is our special guy yeah, for sure. I love him. And he's yeah. a, he's another all time Catholic great. So, you know, there's something to be said for. Uh, uh, quality media, mm. you know, uh, well-produced yeah. events, yeah. Yeah, concerts, yeah. Uh, shows. Yeah. I think people are attracted to to beauty and to something that's well done. And if you're going to produce something, you might as well for the, for the Lord. You might as well do it to yeah. the best of your ability.
4: Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, that's why I do it because I feel that people are drawn to quality. We have to compete with the secular media, uh, and we have to gain their attention and respect right from the get-go. So that's what we do at Array of Hope. We we try to make it the very, very best so people respect it and say, well, this looks pretty good. And then when they're drawn to it and recognize that it's Catholic, they're like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. And there are a lot of apostolates that are doing that. They recognize that quality will bring them to at least to the table to hear the discussion, and then the discussion and the Holy Spirit engages, you know?
1: Um, our mission here at Relevant Radio is bringing Christ to the world through the media. Yeah, you guys uh, we are We awesome. share the same mission you guys yeah. are doing through the media, bringing Christ to yeah. all these people, especially yeah. uh, with this uh, Eucharistic outreach, uh, bringing Christ uh, and His true presence through the media.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it it is, uh, and we love you guys over here at Relevant Radio. And um, absolutely, I mean, the media is really the modern day way to reach and engage people by the millions. You know, so uh, Catholics uh, should be aware of that. I mean, and you guys are doing that really, really well. And I think um, this is something that we can get better at. And I think this is something that people respond to. So it's it's great that we're all doing that.
1: I'm reminded of your patron, JP2, mm-hmm. St John Paul II, who once said it is not good enough to know Christ, we must introduce him to others and that's exactly what you guys are doing.
4: Yes. Yes. Uh it's an honor. You know, I always remind our team, I always remind the people that we're engaged with that that you know, it's an honor to be serving the Lord in such a beautiful way and we should always remember that. Uh and and really uh pray for grace to continue and persevere and Uh, continue having the desire to really seek excellence in what we do and serving God.
1: Mario, uh, thanks again for uh, coming by in person, live here in our studios. Many blessings uh, to you and your ministry with Array of Hope. uh, For much more, Uh, obviously, uh, your uh, um, website, uh, arrayofhope.org.
4: Amen. Thank you, John.
1: Thanks again. Uh, Mario Costabile, the founder and executive director of Array of Hope. And now it's time for yet another episode of Glen Story Corner.
2: Our story today called So This Happened in Montana from Sunny Skies. So this happened in Montana. I'm on my way to go to my interview this morning when I get pulled over by a police officer I'm a Native American, and my friend with me is black, just saying. Both brake lights decided to go out at this time. As he walked to the car, I was pulling out my stuff. The officer quickly said, Don't worry about pulling anything out. I just want you to know your brake lights are out. So I'm immediately upset because I just got them replaced like last month. So I explained to him a oh, Firestone wants to charge 600 bucks just to run a test on the wiring of the car. He looked at me like, yikes. He told me to pop the trunk. He checked the lights in the trunk and tapped on them, and they didn't come on. He told me to pop the hood. He was going to check the relay box and ask me to go check the other lights as well. Then he worked on the wiring under the dash. He could have easily given me a ticket, but Officer Jenkins stepped out of the officer role and into the mechanic role and human role to make sure I was straight. By the way, he fixed them. Not everyone is racist or a bad cop. Luke 10, 33 and 34. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, that he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. As always, thanks
1: so much, uh, Glenn. Remember, you can always download any of Glenn's Story Corners or Morning Air Conversations that you might want to listen to again or share with others online at RelevantRadio.com or just go to our Relevant Radio mobile app, go to Shows on Demand, and download the podcast. That'll do it, folks, for this Friday edition of Morning Air for Glenn Leverance, for producer Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, our entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to go to Mass today and get your throat blessed. Uh, Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Monday on the next morning air. Have a great weekend. The Patrick Madrid Show is straight ahead.